It's a great week to be a member of Freedom Church right up the street, right? I mean, they got the perfect name for this Sunday, right? They do. Flags out flying everywhere, not just there, all around neighborhoods. Uh, songs on the TV, songs on the radio. God bless America. It's not a hard thing to pray. In fact, even if you're not a person who prays, it's not a hard thing to pray, right? I mean, you don't have to be alive in, in America very long before it's real easy for you to say, God bless America. Enjoy it. Soak it up because political campaigns are kicking off. And it doesn't mean it diminishes the love we have for America, but it does make it hard to remember it sometimes in the midst of all that stuff that is said and done as they present their case before America. We have known God's blessing, and we've known it for millions of years. It's been consistent. It's been strong. It was blessed before we ever knew it was here, and the original Native Americans lived here. It was blessed by the way it was constructed, by the way it spawns forth and makes possible life. From sea to shining sea, an inhabitable part of the planet, rich in resources, begging for humankind to come and to be stewards of it. What a privilege and what an honor it is to live in this country. Sometimes we do take it for granted. Sometimes many people take it for granted. I can remember as a young man sitting in a class when I went back to college, something I thought I'd gotten rid of when I stopped going. But then I got this thing called call to ministry, and I had to go back as one of the older guys in the class. And I remember sitting in a class one day when it became popular in the midst of the psychology class to trash our country and those who fought for it. My ears got red, my neck got a little redder, and I was in a redneck school to start with. And still they had those thoughts, as young adults often do. And I was thinking, how many of you have fought to enjoy the privilege that you're now exercising? And the next thing I knew, I was saying it in my, out of my mouth. It was flowing. How many of you have relatives that died, probably if you went far enough back in your past, almost every one of you, in order that you might stand up and criticize the nation today? It's not perfect, and it never will be perfect, and it's filled with imperfect people, but it is still and continues to be an amazing place to live where freedom, freedom really exists. Now, I know we don't always like freedom, do we? I mean, oh, we like it when we exercise it the way we enjoy freedom. And we especially like it when others exercise their freedoms in the same way we do. But that's not always the way it turns out, right? Sometimes in our nation, and sometimes even in our churches, in the midst of being in a wonderful spot, we find ourselves struggling with the dilemma that faces humankind. We struggle with problems. And it's not very hard to look around and see the problems. Probably a few folks on the right side would just kind of gl- gaze way over to the left. You'll see some of the problems in the church here, right? Now, you middle folks, I don't know. There's too many of y'all. Y'all better just look straight ahead. But as far as they're separated by enough distance, you can kind of think about how they're the problem or they're the problem. But once you get closer and closer together in the body of Christ, once we've all tasted of the water of baptism, it's a little hard to distinguish between those God loves most, which would obviously be us and those who think like we do, and the rest of the folks who are part of the body and who think differently. I would love to serve a church where there was never a problem. Well, no, I wouldn't. 
Actually, they wouldn't call me to serve a church that was never had a problem because I'd be introducing problems <laughs> by my life and who I am. But we love the idea that this first church we've been talking about in Acts seems to be a church that's just doing everything right. And if you're not careful, you can fall into that boat of thinking, man, if first church could be just like the first church that grew together as the body of Christ, wouldn't we be awesome? We'd be exploding evangelistically. We'd be learning from great teachers. We'd be filled with the Spirit. Everything would be perfect. And then there's chapter 6, which you notice I skipped over that last week and came back to it this week to preach on this Sunday for a reason. It's short and to the point and a lesson I don't want us to meet. And that's a perfect for communion, right? The church was just exploding, the scripture says, right? And then, while they were in the midst of increasing in numbers, a complaint arose. Imagine that, a complaint in church. I just would never have thought it. Maybe they ran out of napkins in the restroom. Maybe they didn't have enough plates to pass to hold all the money that was coming forward. Maybe they didn't have enough jobs so that every volunteer got to do exactly what they wanted, we might think. But no, 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 that's not what happened. It happened from a particular sect of the church that were called Hellenistic Jews which means their native tongue was Greek. Now, that would be different from the traditional Jewish people who came back from the diaspora to gather and repopulate Israel who spoke Aramaic and perhaps some other languages too, but their principal language was Aramaic. And into their midst, as the gospel began spreading, especially around this Pentecost day, Jews from far off were coming in and joining the church. Unfortunately, these were different kind of Jewish people. Some of them were even Gentile people who were coming in. Very few, but on the edges. You say, but weren't they all Jews? They actually were. But they had been living in the Gentiles so long that they were a little bit more like the Gentiles. And then we come to this thing called the distribution Now, the distribution is an important part of Jewish heritage, and the the synagogues had been doing it for ages, the Jewish people. And the collection looked like this. You'll get excited about this part. Two people in each city around the synagogue would go around the marketplace and to the private homes of the Jewish citizens every Friday to collect the distribution. Sounds like a great idea to me. I don't get much affirmation for that one, do I? (laughs) And then in getting the distribution, it was brought back to the house, and it was distributed as every widow or person who was struggling with their life had need. It was distributed equally as we had enough there, and it would provide two meals a day for the families who couldn't provide for themselves. Now, they took up another offering in another way on another day of the week, and it was for those who had crisis needs that needed to be dealt with in another way. But this was a regular part of the church. Somehow, and I guess we'll just have to figure this one out because the Scripture doesn't really tell us. Somehow, when the money was getting distributed, it appears 
and was reported so, that the widows of the Hellenistic Jews were not getting their fair share, or perhaps being even completely overlooked in some cases. Now, the commentators argue about which it was. Maybe it was by mistake. They just didn't know these people who were all one, living together, sharing all they had. Perhaps they just didn't know that these Gentile sisters and children needed help. Perhaps. Or perhaps they just weren't quite Jewish enough because they didn't, hadn't even held on to the language. You know, we don't really know, but we're pretty sure it was the latter, not the former, according to most commentaries, including William Barclay, one of our saints in the teaching business. And I found it noted in several other commentaries as I read through them this week. But here they were with this problem. They had a problem that needed a solution, correct? Now, let me just back up a minute to talk about America. You know what makes America great? Is we are ingenuous as a people. If we have a problem, we'll figure out a way through clear thinking and action to fix it. It's been that way for a long, long time. It's what helped us set us apart from other nations in a real way. We were motivated to make life better by thinking through and solving problems experienced in the practical everyday life. You need a car? Ford built one. You needed more? Here comes the assembly line. You needed better roads? Guess what? We built them. We figured out a way to build them with everybody sharing the costs. We Americans have been ingenuous when faced with problems. I didn't say perfect. I said ingenuous. Because sometimes there's trial and error involved in fixing problems, right? In this particular case in the scriptures, it seems like they had a problem that was going to cause a split in this early church. It was very possible that they were about to become two churches if things didn't settle down quickly. The apostles, being filled with the Spirit, saw this problem and knew they needed to address it. While at the same time exercising, uh, exercising their spiritual leadership, they knew that it was also going to be important for the body of Christ to be taken care of in an equal and just way. And so, with the guidance of the Spirit, as the Scriptures tells us, they got together because they said, as has already been read to you, it's not right for us to ignore the teaching of the word in prayer because that's what apostles have been called to do in order that the gospel might be spread. But they also knew that people needed to be selected from amongst the people ingenuous who were complaining their own people would solve their problem by taking up the collection and distributing it themselves. And so they elected seven deacons to do so. Isn't it interesting that in the first office construction, other than the apostles called by Jesus individually, the very first thing they needed was lay people to do the work of the church. Now you know where this sermon's going, right? Now you know where it's headed. If I had to teach 400 children this tall and shorter, it will be not a vacation Bible school, but a whole different kind of experience. 
we will never see the Mount Everest at the top. At least some of us won't. It just wouldn't happen. I'd be too frazzled. By the end of the week, I'd be sending some home, right? I'd have given up. or We'd all be in here in one big circle in the middle of the building till we had done our time. And you came and delivered us. No, and Cindy couldn't do it either. As good as she is, she couldn't do it. The only way it could get done was for 135 people to stand up and say, it's not just the pastors or the staff who are hired to teach. It's all of us too. And so they come pouring forth in this church in a marvelous way. What a blessing to be here. I've been places where we had to have a speech begging for people to help teach DBS many, many years. Never had to ask for more help here yet since I've been here. I'm amazed by that. I'm proud of you for that. It's one of your points of Christian perfection that I like to brag about when I'm in other places. You feel the call to teach. And here they are in this situation. Once they began doing that, what happens? They've got a problem. They've got a solution. They've addressed it. And then, amazing, the, the seven verses end with the idea that the church continued with evangelistic fervor, spreading across the way. Even priests were coming to know Jesus as their Lord and joining the church. And there were no more notes of cries of anyone being overlooked as the body took up its duties and performed them all. Wow and wow. So now what does that say to us? First of all, we kind of take a little bit of joy. Thought that church was perfect, but they had problems. Perhaps they even had some leaders in that church that were a little bit racist, a little bit prejudiced about people from another part of the world. Right here in First Church Anywhere. It's what was going on. It's a serious problem. So now we know that the church, even when it seems to be doing so well, was not perfect. And you know why it was not perfect? Let's take a test. If you know the answer prayerfully, think about it. Think about it now. Why was that first church not perfect? And I can think of a four-word phrase or maybe a one-word phrase. Have you got yours in mind? Why was that church not perfect? It was because... Yeah, yeah, it did. It had people. It's always a problem, isn't it? You got people, and you get people together, and they're all different. They bring different thought patterns. They bring different ways of thinking. You think it was hard to measure up and to fit in with your in-laws, and they're outlaws. Think about and, and them fitting in with your in-law, your law in-laws, and your outlaws. Think about how would it be like to try and live together by the thousands as one family. Wow, amazing, right? That early church was incredible. You say, well, what does that have to do to us today? Well, I don't know about us, but let's think about the church today. Here was a church on the brink of, of perhaps if they'd have made a bad decision and not listened to the Spirit. Not listen to what actually needed to be done practically in their context could have easily split apart. It easily could have. In the way that churches often do today. Right? Because you see, human beings of every generation have a tendency, even after conversion, to split into factions with different emphases. 
Think about that. Everywhere people come together, it's a temptation. The temptation will be great in general conference in the end of April, 1st of May for the church to split because that just seems like the easiest way to fix it. Churches split up because they can't agree about whether to emphasize either local programming or world missions. Churches split up in the world in which we live because some churches believe they need to care for the church's needs versus caring for the community's needs. Some churches split up because they emphasize the local congregation and that's where they live and they don't really want to be a large part of a larger denomination some churches split up because they believe personal holiness is more important than social holiness or vice versa some churches split up and it becomes this dividing line between protestant and catholic christians the roman catholic christians and so we split up splitting up has been a constant temptation for the church it's a constant temptation in every marriage when it's struggling maybe this just isn't going to work you look at those two couples come in for premarital counseling you have them look deeply into each other's eyes and say repeat after me we're going to live together forever and if they show no signs of fear you tell them to go home take a cold shower and come back and we'll ask the question again Living with any human forever, regardless of what they turn into as they grow up, which is unfortunately what happens to all young adults in love, they come up and get older, and they're not so loving anymore, and they don't act like they used to act. They're not dating anymore. Where'd the romance go? Where'd the money go? What's the problem? Well, problems are numerous, and the temptation is when you're tired or worn out or when it's not working great, just split up, just like in the church. It becomes too difficult to stay together. And we love either or situations. It's either them or us. It's either right or wrong. And we know where the right lies, correct? But see, in this place, guided by the Holy Spirit, the apostles knew that they had been set apart and called to teach the scriptures and to lead the congregation in prayer because they knew that was their main focus. And they knew if they sidetracked from their calling and their giftedness by the power of the Holy Spirit that the church would cease to continue to explode and grow. The Holy Spirit guided them to select others and not just any others but people from within the community that was fussing to take care of the problem themselves and gave them the authority to do so and they did and everything was hunky-dory and the church lived ever after and ever after happy and here we are. It's a great story. The outcome becomes both and rather than either or. Give you another illustration. Every now and then I have to talk about my family. This is one of those every now and then. Chad comes to tell, ask me, says, what do you think I need to do to emphasize a Kairos walk in a prison that's coming up on August 13th through the 16th? I said, well, you need to call Lauren. You need to be sure and get in the newsletter. You could get a table out front, talk to people about serving the team. So I really still need four people uh, on the inside, which means you're there for four days, and some more volunteers on a day here and a day there on the outside who are getting things ready. He says, you think that would be a problem? I said, I don't think that's a problem. He said, what else other way can you think of 
drawing attention to it so that it might do better. Now, I was eating dinner at his house. I said, I guess the pastor could mention it somewhere. <laughs> and he said, that's what I was thinking too. <laughs> Imagine that. <clears throat> I'd already told him, though, I said, there's this little problem. It's a thing called Splash Day. Because I'd already decided to kind of serve on that team with him. I hadn't told him yet, but I'd, I'd kind of decided to do it. But the trouble is tables of eight and Splash Day on that Sunday afternoon on that weekend. I had to make a choice. It was either or unless I go down for one day and serve on the outside when I really want to be on the inside in that occasion and do my service there. But for many people, it can be both and somehow, some way. I say it can be both and Splash Day and Kairos event happening on the same weekend in a church this size. There are enough of us to meet the needs in both places. Churches are much healthier when they think of both and rather than either or. Don't get me wrong. There are some times when you have to have an either or answer and the Spirit leads you to that place. But you need to be really, really sure that it's the Spirit leading you there and not your own personal needs.